This morning is going to come from Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, they'll be on page 839 of your Pew Bible, 839. Mark chapter 4, we're going to read verses 35 through 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he had said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have, have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The miracles of Jesus show us so much about who he is about his heart, about his power, about the kind of savior that we worship, that we put our lives, our, our, our lives into his hands. Starting this morning and for the next six weeks or so on Sunday mornings, Lord willing, we're going to be talking about the miracles of Jesus. It's a wonderful study to think about who Jesus is and to think about what he's able to do. Miracles really are parables of instruction, if you will. They show us something about his character, about his nature. If you haven't already opened your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, please do so. And we're going to be looking at the passage that was just read a moment ago by Brother Boone. In 1859, there was a British steamer that ran into some unexpected weather off the coast of Great Britain. They didn't know that the terrible weather was headed their way and the British steamer capsized, 450 people lost their lives. There was a British admiral named Fitzroy who decided that that was an unacceptable state of affairs given modern technology. And so Admiral Fitzroy set to work trying to figure out how to predict the forecast for all the waters around Great Britain. It's an island after all. He came up with a system called the weather forecast, the weather, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the sea forecast. And in 1861, it went into service. And it was really unique because it was very brief, but what it did was it divided the ocean, it divided the seas around Great Britain into sections. And it gave each section a name, and then it would tell the captains on the water what kind of seas they could expect if they went into a certain place on a given day. And every night when the BBC would sign off on the radio or even before when the telegraph would go out, people would be able to read this forecast and they'd be able to see what was coming. He saved countless lives. Even today, given all our modern technology and radar and all of that, even today, the National Weather Service, even in this country and in all other countries around the world, They've divided the seas around their borders into sectors, just like the British had done. 
And sea captains can know before they travel into a given part of the ocean, they can know what they can expect. I suspect if the disciples had had a weather forecast, they would never have gotten in the boat with Jesus in Mark chapter 4. I suspect if they had been able to know that there was a great storm on the way, that they would never have set foot, even though Jesus was with them. They would have tried to talk him out of this decision. Stop and think about our lives for just a minute. It's a new year. I think about strange things like this. I'd like to have a forecast for my life. I think that'd be pretty handy, don't you? I'd like to know the day and the time and the place when I'm going to have a flat tire this year. I'd like to know when I'm going to get sick or when my family members are going to get sick. And I'd like to know the nature of the sickness, the duration of the sickness. I'd like to know what I could best do to cure it. That'd be handy, don't you think? I'd like to know when loved ones around me were going to pass from this life. I'd like to know that just because I could say some things that I needed to say and I could maybe do some things that I need to do. I'd like to know when I was going to leave this life because I could make some decisions. I could, I could order my life and I could make plans and I could do things because I had the forecast. I, I knew what was in advance. The problem with that, maybe, you don't, maybe you're not like me. Maybe you wouldn't want to know those things. The problem with that though is, where is faith? Who, who are you going to trust? If you know you're going to have a flat tire this Thursday, where's your faith? Your faith doesn't have to be in anyone else. Your faith can just be in, well, I know that this is going to happen and I'm going to make the arrangements. I'm going to do what I need to do to fix it. Human beings have an innate need to feel safe. They have an innate need to be calm in their souls, to be at peace. Human beings just, we're wired that way. And in order to feel safe, in order to be, be calm, what all of us kind of want to do is we want to be in control. We want to be in charge. We want to know that we've got enough money to cover any eventuality. We want to know that we've got the ability, whatever comes, that we can deal with it, that we can handle the problems, that we can fix whatever goes wrong. We want to know that about ourselves. And we want to know that about our future because we know that we don't have a forecast. So the next best thing is to be in control. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, Jesus taught his disciples a lesson that you and I need to have, that you and I need to listen to. It's a lesson about faith, and it's a lesson about control, and it's a lesson about being safe. Notice with me, if you would, as you begin in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, the Bible says that this began with an ordinary trip. An ordinary trip. Jesus had begun his ministry. Everybody was excited early on in his ministry. I mean, there were crowds all around Jesus all the time, so much so that the book of Mark tells us that Jesus often had to just get away. He just couldn't deal with the constant pressure and the constant crowds thronging him, and he knew that he and his disciples needed to rest sometimes. And so Jesus, in this ordinary trip, has been teaching in Mark chapter 4. And then if you look at verse 35, notice... It says, on the same day when evening had come. So if you think about this, he's been teaching all day long. He's been talking to people about things like righteousness and about the word of God and about how people need to repent and to turn to God and to obey his word. And people have been listening and they're enthralled to hear Jesus teach. 
And now evening has come. The sun has started to go down. And Jesus is in charge of this operation. Even though he has got some sailors, some fishermen who are his apostles, there is no question about who's the authority, who's making the decisions here. Jesus is. He gives a command. In Mark 4 verse 35, let us cross over to the other side. Now that sounds like a pretty ordinary command. After all, Jesus grew up near the Sea of Galilee. That's where they are. It's a little, we would call it maybe a lake. It's about 13 or so miles north to south. It's about seven miles across, not very big. And so the trip that Jesus is commanding them to take is gonna take them maybe a couple of hours. It's the evening, the sun is setting, seems like a good way to rest. Everybody get into the boat, apostles, and by the way, it's gonna be a small boat because on the Sea of Galilee, they didn't have yachts. They didn't have giant seagoing craft. They just had small fishing boats, just big enough for Jesus and his apostles, 13 men. But notice that the crowds, they don't wanna let Jesus get away. And so the Bible goes on to say that there were other boats with him, verse 36, the trip that they make. So if you can imagine the sun's going down, Jesus and his apostles get into this boat and they shove off and off they go into the sea and a whole bunch of the crowd wants to go too. So they get their boats and they go with him and you can just kind of see this little armada of ships sailing across the Sea of Galilee as night falls. I'm sure the apostles never thought, not even for a minute, that this was gonna go the way it did. They had been listening to Jesus. They had been walking with Jesus. They had been enthralled with what Jesus had to teach them. And we sing songs in our songbook like, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. And I love those songs, but sometimes we don't think about the fact that there are some unexpected things that happen in this life. We don't think about the fact that we don't have a forecast for what's in our future. At least not the specifics of when negative things are gonna take place. We don't have that. And the apostles, maybe they're just a little bit complacent. We're safe with Jesus, we're gonna get into the boat. You know they wouldn't have done it if they knew the storm was coming. But they get into the boat with the master. This ordinary trip very quickly turns sour though. As you read on in the passage, there is a panicked appeal next. Look at Mark chapter 8 and verse 37. Somewhere in the middle of the sea, darkness has fallen, I would imagine at this point. And the scripture says in Mark 8, or excuse me, Mark 4, 37, I apologize, I said Mark 8. By the way, parallel account to this, this is why it's in my mind. Parallel accounts, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, and Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Matthew 8, Luke 8, Mark 4, this parallel account. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 37, the scripture says, a great windstorm arose. The indication is this was a gale force wind. It was something that was historic in its nature. Peter and James and John and Andrew were fishermen. They knew the Sea of Galilee, that was their livelihood. But the Bible still says, a great windstorm arose. 
This was something that was troubling. This was something that caused the apostles a great deal of worry and concern. After all, they were in danger. Referring to those accounts that I just mentioned a moment ago. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 24, the Bible says that the boat was covered with water. It's one thing to be in a storm where the boat's just going up and down a little bit. It's another thing to be in a storm where water is coming into the boat. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 23, Luke says it this way. He says that the storm was so great, it was so violent that the waves were coming into the boat. And Luke just puts it this way. He says they were in danger. They were in peril. No bones about it. We're in a storm. The ship is filling with water. We're in trouble. A big storm arises. What's Jesus doing? As you look at Mark chapter 4 and verse 38, he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. Some people can sleep through anything. I'm not one of those people, but some people can. And one of the questions that always comes to my mind when I read this passage is, why was Jesus asleep? I suspect that at least one reason is because he was human. Jesus is fully divine. He is fully God. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead of divinity bodily. Colossians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. And yet as was read at the Lord's table this morning in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 9 through 17, the Bible makes abundantly clear that he also shares in our humanity. And as a result of that, Jesus got hungry, he got thirsty, and he was tired and exhausted. And I suspect that part of the reason why he was asleep on that pillow was because he had had such a full schedule. This was what he needed. Time to sleep, time to rest while the boat made the crossing to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The Savior rested on that occasion. And can't you imagine what it was like for the apostles in the boat? I mean, the storm is really starting to rage. The wind and the waves are coming over the side of the boat. And they're probably getting their buckets and starting to bail the water out. But there's Jesus, and he's still asleep. And I don't know if you're like me. I would, I would probably be kind of annoyed if somebody were asleep in the middle of all this, especially the one who was in charge of this particular journey, the one who told us to get into the boat in the first place and that we would go safely to the other side. And there he is asleep. And Luke says, we're in danger. We're in trouble. But there he is asleep. And so the song we sang just a moment ago, the apostles in their panic, in their fear, they finally have just had enough and somebody, I don't know who it was, probably Peter, goes to Jesus and shakes him awake, it would seem, and says, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? He's not just saying, don't you care about us and, you know, in a theological, philosophical sense, do you have concern for me? It's no, this ship is about to go down and you're still asleep. What are you doing? Why are you still asleep on the pillow? And they wake him up. What happens next? Jesus is going to respond. Look at Mark chapter 8 and verse 39. Then he arose. What's Jesus going to do? 
The apostles have appealed to him. Don't you care that we're perishing? They've woken him up. And, and just imagine you're Jesus. Put yourself in his sandals for just a minute. There he is, teaching all day long, telling people that it's time to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, gets into the boat, falls asleep in the stern, safely he's being carried along, and then all of a sudden you're awakened, and you see the wild, fearful eyes of your apostles, and they're asking you if you care that the boat's going down. They ask you if you care that they're perishing. And not only that, but there's other little boats, this little armada that's floating along, and, and people are afraid in those boats too, and, and you wake up. What do you do? What's the right standard operating procedure in a case like that? Well, for a human being, a mere human, you start bailing water with everybody else, but not Jesus. Jesus doesn't start bailing water. Instead, the Bible says that Jesus stands up and he speaks some words. I find it interesting that the Bible does not say some things about what Jesus did. He did not begin with an incantation and a, a long magic formula that would appease the gods of the wind and the waves. Didn't do something like that. I find it interesting that in another storm situation in the Bible, Jonah, when he was running from God, in Jonah chapter one, remember, the storm was raging and the sailors were fearful and Jonah was asleep and they woke Jonah up and he said, oh yeah, this is because God is angry with me. Throw me overboard, Jonah said, and everything will be okay. And the sailor said, we're not going to do that. No, no, throw me overboard. And they threw Jonah overboard and the wind and the waves ceased, remember? And a great fish swallowed Jonah. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus stands up and he merely speaks a couple of words. It says in verse 39, he rebuked the wind. The Greek word means that he reproved, he chastened the wind. He spoke to the wind. Have you ever tried to do that? What would possess somebody to do that? What school do you go to to learn how to talk to the weather? Where, where do you go to decide that this is the right course of action in a situation when people's lives are in danger. And after all, what good would it do if you or I talked to the wind? I submit to you this morning that Jesus knew exactly what to do because Jesus is God. He is the creator. He is divine in every way. And Jesus is the one through whom all things were created. John chapter one, verse three. There is nothing that was made that was made without or apart from him. All things were made through him, both the things that we see and the things that we don't see. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 teaches. Jesus is the creator. And this was not the first time he had spoken to his creation in this way. So he stood up in that boat and he spoke and rebuked the wind and said, peace, be still. Brothers and sisters and friends, I want you to hear me this morning. There is power in the word of Jesus. When he speaks, creation listens. The Bible says that through him, he spoke all things into existence. Psalm 148 and verse 5. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be a division between the land and the water. There was a division. That's how it happened. He speaks and it happens. And not only that, but the Bible teaches that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. 
When Jesus speaks to his creation, his creation obeys, and it obeys instantly. And so it was nothing for Jesus to rise up in that boat and to look at the wind and to look at the waves and to say to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. Literally, be silent, be quiet is what it means. And instantly, the Bible says there was a great calm. It doesn't just say everything kind of died down shortly. You ever been in a swimming pool or a bathtub and somebody's just, I mean, there's a huge wave. It takes a little while for the water to quit sloshing back and forth. In my mind, what this miracle indicates is this. When Jesus said, peace be still, just like that, the wind stopped. It went from 60 miles an hour to zero. And not only that, the water, just like that, quit sloshing around. Everything went still, smooth as glass. Peace be still. All he had to do was say the word. There's power in the word of Jesus Christ. Notice this. Jesus then turns to his apostles, and he's got some things he wants to ask them. The Bible says in Mark chapter 4 and verse 30, or verse 40, he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now we get to the lesson. I believe that Jesus knew from the very beginning that when they got into that boat that there was going to be a storm. I believe he knew it when he said, let's get into the boat and cross to the other side. He knows all things. He has all things in his knowledge. And so when he speaks to his disciples, he talks to them first of all about their misplaced fear. He says, why are you so afraid? And then he talks to them about their missing faith. How is it that you have no faith? Let's talk about what that means. Question. Put yourself in that situation. Was it wrong for Peter and James and John and Andrew and Thomas? Was it wrong for them to wake up the Lord? Back up a minute. Were they in danger? Yes or no, were they in danger? Bible says very clearly, yes, they were in danger. No equivocation. Water was coming into the boat. The boat was going to sink if things kept going the way that they were going. So then the next question, was it wrong for them to wake up the Lord? I don't believe it's wrong for them to wake up the Lord. So then what's the problem? Listen to me very carefully. The problem is that when they woke up the Lord, they were in a state of panic and despair and hopelessness. They did not see any way out of their predicament. They certainly didn't think that Jesus could do anything to solve or to change their circumstance. When they woke up the Lord, they knew that this, this boat was going down and all they were doing was just saying, we're going to the bottom. I guess you don't care. That's the implication of his question. How is it that you have no faith? Why are you so afraid? There are gonna be things that happen to us in our lives as we walk with Jesus that bring us into contact with danger, with peril. 
there are going to be things as we walk with him, as we learn with him, as we grow with him, there are going to be things that we could never have forecast and we would never have willingly walked into. It's going to happen. It happens to all of us. Even the psalmist says in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Remember? Don't think that being a Christian, that being faithful to God somehow exempts you from storms. It doesn't. So what's the problem with the apostles? The problem is that when they got into the middle of a storm, they couldn't see a way out. And they couldn't see the one who had the way out. Keep your finger there in Mark chapter 4 for just a moment and turn back in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 56. Psalm chapter 56. And look if you would at verse 3. Psalm 56. And notice what the psalmist says. Whenever I am afraid, Psalm 56, 3. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to God. Notice the psalmist knows that he's going to face some storms. Whenever I am afraid, there are going to be some things that, in, that we encounter, brothers and sisters and friends, that we are just frankly afraid of. Some things that cause us fear and consternation, danger that faces us, it's going to happen. But look at what the psalmist says. Whenever I am afraid, I will make a deliberate decision. I'm going to do something different from what I would ordinarily do. Here's what I'm going to do when I'm afraid, the psalmist says. I'm going to put my trust in you. I believe this psalm is exactly what Jesus wanted those apostles to do in Mark chapter 4. Fear, okay, it's reasonable. Concern, okay, yes, it's reasonable. Waking up the Lord, good thing to do. He cares. He loves his apostles. He's already tried to communicate that to them in so many ways. But what he wants them to do is to put their trust in him. And what God wants you and me to do when we are afraid to put our trust willingly and intentionally in him. Peace, brothers and sisters, is not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of difficulty. It's not even the absence of hard work. Peace is the presence of all those things and yet the confidence in our heart that we know somebody who is greater than all those things that we know somebody who loves us and who is concerned about us and we've put our faith and our trust in him. How is it that you have no faith? What he wanted those apostles to do was to be afraid and yet to put their trust in him. Go back to Mark chapter 4 and look at verse 41. I'm fascinated as I read the miracles of Jesus by how people reacted to them. If I'd been in the boat, wow, this is amazing. We went from a 60 mile an hour gale to nothing in the snap of a finger, in the blink of an eye, with a word being spoken by Jesus. Wow, this is great. Just think about this. He can control the weather. That's not what the apostles did. 
The Bible says that the apostles, in Mark chapter 4, verse 41, they feared exceedingly. They were filled with great fear, one translation says. And the word for fear here is phobia, the Greek word that leads to our English word phobia. They were afraid, not of the storm anymore. They were afraid of the person who was in the boat with them. Think about it. This person who we've begun to follow, even the winds and the waves obey him, who can this be? that he talks to the storm and the storm listens. Who is this? They were filled with great fear and as a result, they learned a valuable lesson. You wanna know what the lesson is? The same lesson Jesus wants you to learn. Brothers and sisters and friends, you will not have a forecast for your life. Even the doctors who give you a prognosis don't really know whether their prognosis is accurate. Even the weather forecasters who get paid to do such things on the news don't really know for sure that their forecasts are 100% accurate. Nobody knows the future. But you can put your trust wholeheartedly in the one who does. You can put your faith in him. And it doesn't matter what storm arises it doesn't matter what difficulty we encounter. When we put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, he will see us through. Who can this be that the wind and the waves obey him? Everybody wants to feel safe and everybody wants to feel in control, but you know what? Control is really just an illusion. I mean, after all, what can you really control? Can you control other people? Can you control your own heart rate, your heartbeat? Can you control your bodily uh, functions, the things that your body's doing involuntarily? You can't control any of those things. All of us, we need to realize what we're not able to control and put our faith in the one whom the wind and the waves obey. I believe this lesson that Jesus gave to the apostles, I believe it was valuable to those apostles because when you read the book of Acts, when they were arrested, and they were beaten, they knew that the storm that they were facing was something that their master could control. When apostles began to be executed for their faith, they knew that they were still in the hands of the one who could still the storm. And even when Paul endured a storm, literally, and a shipwreck, it's amazing to look at his faith, and I wonder what he had learned by listening to the other apostles and their account of this particular occasion. Master, the tempest is raging. Don't you care that we perish? It's not wrong to cast your cares upon the Lord. It is wrong to lose hope and to despair and to act like there's no hope, there's no way out. Let's put our trust in Jesus Christ. Let's let him be the one in whom we have placed all of our confidence. Maybe we can help you this morning to obey the gospel, to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, to become his disciple. The Bible says that what we need to do is to hear his word, the gospel, to repent of our sins, to turn away from sin, the things that displease him. The Bible says, having done those things, we are to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord and we are to be baptized, immersed for the remission of our sins. It's at the point of baptism, not before, 
that someone who is outside of Christ comes into a relationship with him. We put on Christ, Galatians 3 verse 27. If we can help you to make that commitment this morning, if you need to respond and ask for prayers, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing.